listening to First Church Charlotte. He is bringing about his perfect will and his perfect plan, and we are we're excited. A few things to be excited about. Uh, we baptized a young man in the 9 a.m. service. Uh, he was uh, came to First Steps uh, last week, I believe. I believe Clement was at First Steps last week. Uh, last week was the biggest First Steps class we, we've ever had, and so I'm trying to keep track of who all was there. And uh, anyway, he was baptized this morning. We're going to have two more uh, beautiful people be baptized today. Uh, some of you guys don't know Dan and Erica, but they're going to be baptized today, and we celebrate with you. It's a beautiful thing uh, when people begin to uh, make those steps to incline themselves toward the things of God, the way of God, the call of God, the love of God. Uh, none of us are, are in every venue of our life right where we ought to be. All of us are being called by the Spirit. Um, that, that's, why, that's why the Scripture uh, teaches in, in principles, because in a principle, wherever you are, you can be called toward God and the Spirit draws you, and and you can you can begin making those progresses and starting your life over. And so, I want to say to anybody here today, uh, whether or not you feel like that you're a churchy person or not, or whether you just have a sense that you would like to be uh, more, how shall we say, uh, more spiritual, uh, be more uh, inclined toward God. I want you to know that we are a church that will accept you where you are. Uh, we will love you where you are. We will join with you where you are. And we will speak life into you through the saving name of Jesus right where you are. I'm excited about that. I I love that. And uh, that's one of the things I love about being a part of this body of believers. Um, We have a great team here. I'm very thankful for our team. Uh, You guys noticed that our our projectors were moved and we have the full, uh, full width now. We're so cool I can barely stand it. I've just never been this cool ever in my life. In fact, we are so cool. I think we're going to have to take Adam off the platform because um, Adam is the only thing really holding us back right now. I mean, look at these screens. How awesome are these screens? And uh, that's, uh, We took him off the platform today. That's right. Thank God that Nathan saw to do that and was led of the Spirit. And um, no, we had we had uh, some of our production team, Nathan and Jeremy and Austin, were here till 10 o'clock last night uh, moving this stuff and fixing this stuff and then turn around and got back up at 6 this morning to come back in here and, and give you guys as good a, 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 how shall we say, like an environment of worship and praise. And so we're blessed to have that. Also, those of you who aren't fellowshipping with our church, the best thing our church has to offer isn't simply the weekend experience. I, I know we work hard to have a good weekend service, and I understand if Sunday doesn't work, the rest of the week doesn't work. I get that. But I want you to know there is a, a, a whole community here of people that will open their heart to you. Uh, they'll have you over their house. We do it two ways. The first way we do that is with our small groups, which you've heard about. That's the expo right after that. Uh, the second way we do it is I, as the pastor, want to get to know you. And so I invite you to come to my First Steps class. The first small group you're in is mine. And uh, it is four lessons that uh, repeat. And today we're on lesson two. If you haven't had lesson two, that's where I try to answer all your questions about the structure, the government, the finances of the church. I want you to believe in the church. We do that today. And 
So that is right after the 11 o'clock service next door. And I've got a lot of things I'm talking about here. Uh, the third thing we do uh, to, to open our hearts to you as we're starting, uh, we've done it in the past. We're re-firing it up and we call it InReach. It's one week a month where rather than midweek Bible study, all of our leaders, all of our small groups, all of our, 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 our members, uh, they make an effort to get together with you. They want to, they may invite you over their house. They may meet you for coffee, but we are not just reaching out, we're reaching in. We want you to feel at home. Uh, some of you guys have been here for a while and maybe you haven't had a chance to connect with them. Like, uh, let me see who I can pick on. Okay, John and Gwen are right here. Y'all wave your hands at me. If y'all don't know John and Gwen, uh, they, they're first steppers. They, uh, they, they, they are a part of our community of faith and they uh, are wonderful people. You should get to know them. That's why we try. All right, let's get started. I'm doing something different today so you can't accuse me of being boring. I'm going to read my text at the end of the message. Okay, I'm just going to start preaching, and then I will get to the text at the end of the message. How many of you are going to say amen for me here today? All right, all right, all right. I am excited to teach the word of the Lord, and I am teaching from this subject today of anti-fragile, anti-fragile. Try that word on for size if you've never said it before, anti-fragile. Okay, so words have a life of their own, and they change meaning over time, and a lot of times a word that is a foreign word like rendezvous uh, will be adopted in an English context and it becomes an English word. It wasn't uh, English initially. Uh, Renaissance was not an English word, but it was adopted. Often words are developed in special vocations, like doctors have a specific uh, language that they speak, and if a word answers a need, a communicative need within society, it will be adopted out of its specialized context, and it will be used as a a broad word. Like, for example, um, we say things uh, like culture. If I say uh, your workplace has a certain culture to it, you know what I mean by that. Uh, But that was first used that way in the mid-1800s. Before that, culture was used to refer to refinement, as though you had good taste, and you knew what good preaching was, and you said, Brother Nathan is my favorite preacher. Then I would say, you have great culture. Um, But it now has used differently. It is a a word that has taken on a specific modern definition. Same thing with conservative. Uh, The conservative was first used in that context in 18, I believe 1832, as the first recorded use of conservative being political, a political word. And now we all use that word in a political context. And so uh, words mean things. One of the new words that has become popular in recent days is this word anti-fragile. And it caught my attention because um, it means something very specific that um, you probably, uh, you don't don't get the specificity of it. You you roughly kind of know what it means, uh, but you don't get the specificity of it. And so um, this word uh, really is popular in risk analysis. In fact, it was uh, made famous by uh, the, uh, 
the, the writer who he is a, he writes for markets and the stock markets and capital markets by the name of Nassim Nicholas Tlaib. And he wrote a book entitled Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain from Disorder. And so I want to, I want to give you a sense of anti-fragile here today. And I want you to know that it was, it was really a word used in risk analysis. It was used in physics. It's used in economic studies, economic analysis, economic models. It's used in molecular biology, transportation planning, engineering. It's used in aerospace, and it is used quite a lot in uh, machine learning, statistics, and computer science. Because it has solved a particular need um, in the communication of our generation, it has started becoming popular. Now, if I say something is robust, you, uh, you know what that means. Robustness is the ability to resist failure. Robustness, to be robust, is the ability to resist difficulty, resist trouble, etc., etc. Uh, to be resilient is different than robust. Robust is your ability to resist stress. Resilience is your ability to recover from stress. So I could say of a system that it is robust, it does well under stress. I could say it is resilient. You can mess it all up, but it has its own self-governing structure. It's resilient. It will come back together. But when I say a system is anti-fragile, what I am saying is It doesn't just survive tough times. It doesn't just recover from tough times. An anti-fragile system gets stronger under stress than it was when the sun was shining. I have something I want to tell all of you here today. The kingdom of God is anti-fragile. I want you to get this down in your spirit. The kingdom of God is anti-fragile. It doesn't just recover from trouble. It doesn't just resist trouble. The kingdom of God gets stronger in the midst of trouble. I want you to know you're stronger when the enemy's attacking you than when everything is good in your life. You say, that doesn't feel that way. I agree with you. It doesn't feel that way. But because you're praying more and because you're calling upon the name of Jesus, are you hearing me? Full confession, I pray more in tough times than I do in good times. Now, don't act like you don't either. Some of you got in church, and you're in church today because in trouble you called upon the name of the Lord. Some of you are in church today because in the worst week of your life you called upon the name of the Lord. You aren't just resilient. You aren't just robust. You are anti-fragile. You get stronger in the toughness because you call upon the name of the Lord. We confuse this because we judge strength by feeling. When we feel strong, then we're strong. When we feel weak, then we're weak. No, no, no. And again, I say, dearly beloved, uh, no. It thusly behooveth me to tell thou, no. That's not how it works. You're not strong when you feel strong. You're strong when you call upon the name of the Lord. You're not strong when you're walking tall. You're strong when you call upon the name of the Lord. You're not mighty when everything's good. You're mighty when you say, not my will. But 
thy will be done. You are strong when you lay down your plans and say, I want God's plans. You are strong when you lay down your solutions and you say, I want God's solution. That's why the writer, the, the, the epistle writer would say, when I am weak, then, somebody say it with me, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Because the kingdom of God is anti-fragile. It doesn't just survive, it gets stronger. It doesn't just make it through. It comes through with a testimony. It doesn't just survive difficulty. It turns difficulty into witness. The kingdom of God is anti-fragile. I want to show you this if I can. Uh, This is a quote from uh, Talib's book, Anti-Fragile. There is something in nature you don't understand. Odds are it makes sense in a deeper way that is beyond our understanding. So there is a logic to natural things that is much superior to our own, just as there is a dichotomy in law, such as innocent until proven guilty, as opposed to its opposite, guilty until proven innocent. Uh, Just as there's that kind of a rule, let me express my rule as follows. What mother nature does is rigorous until proven otherwise. What humans and science does is flawed until proven otherwise. When I read that, it was like I wanted to shout amen as loud as I could. Because here's the truth. When I come up with a plan, it might be my best plan. It's not as good as God's plan. When I come up with a scheme, it might be a fine scheme, but it's not as good as God's plan. I want you to see this is how the church is going to make it. This is how the church has always made it. This is how you are going to overcome. The kingdom of God is anti-fragile. There were some Bible students who tried to come up with some type of an exercise that would give them a sense of what it must have been like to be in the New Testament church. And they... they found a room that was unlit and unheated and they posted a guard at the door uh, so they would be protected from persecution. Remember this is modern but they're trying to get in the mindset of the early church, the first century church. And they prepared through their study, they prepared a context where they would read one to another to remind them of what their circumstance was was uh, in their exercise. And so they, they, they did this, they Uh, met together and 13 of them met at night and they posted a a guard and they gathered in a back room with only two candles and no heat. They said they nearly froze doing that. They opened with a prayer and uh, the leader of the group tried to review the situation that they were trying to imagine they were in for all of them so the Bible students could have a sense of what it meant to be uh, a Christian in the first century. And he, he said this, which would have been the situation of a small group of Christians in the year 88 AD. Some of us are Jews, he said to them. Some of us are Greeks. Some of us are Romans. Some of us are citizens. Many of us are slaves. But we are all Christians, disciples of Jesus the Christ. We think 
He was born about 88 years ago. That's why we call this the 88th year of our Lord. Uh, We believe he was crucified around 33 AD, but we're not exactly uh, sure. Uh, All we have are some partial accounts of his life and teachings. And uh, one one or two of us has a few fragments of a few copies of a few copies of some letters that uh, Paul or uh, Peter or one of the other uh, pastors and epistles and uh, apostles wrote. Uh, the Lord's first disciples, the, the, the 12, they, they are all gone now. There, there are rumors that John is still alive, but he's not here and nobody knows where he is. Um, Peter and Paul, they, they were all killed in 64, uh, which would have been about uh, just, a, uh, you know, 20 26 uh, years, 20, 22, 20 years later, uh, back ago when Rome was burned and Nero named it, blamed it on the Christians. There's just us now, and we're trying to make it, and we're believing in this man, Jesus Christ. It's a different time for us. We we don't celebrate at the temples anymore. Uh, we don't we don't we don't celebrate without uh, risk of persecution. When the uh, when the Jews rebelled against Rome and uh, 67 AD, uh, the Christians uh, in Jerusalem saw the cities be dis- surrounded by the armies of of Rome, and they remembered. And this is all historically accurate, by the way. They remembered that that Jesus had said that the temple would be destroyed, and so they fled as the armies, the Christians fled from fled from Jerusalem, and they crossed Jordan and they went to a desert place known as Pella, and the Romans three years later destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, completely raised it destroyed it and by the time the the fortress that was held by the last of the Jewish zealots uh, called Masada once it fell in uh, 73 they had crushed the entire Jewish nation and now they're after us too and uh the three generals that decimated Jerusalem have, have been the emperors. And first it was Vespian and then his two sons, Titus and Domitian. And now we're hiding because Domitian was trying to restore Roman religion. And if he catches us, he executes us publicly. But tonight, tonight in this small room, we are gathered here, here together. And perhaps we're safe for, for the moment. Why, why have we come here? Why have we slipped out of our homes at night? Why have we slipped away from our masters, those of us who are slaves? And why are we hiding from the Roman armies to meet in caves and catacombs and, and darkened rooms? And, and why would we risk everything? We, we don't really, we, there's so much we don't know. Um, we, we, we're here and we believe and we're mentally committed and we're emotionally committed and we're, we're, we're spiritually committed. But church, hear me today. If we're going to understand these small groups of Christians that kept the faith alive, you're going to have to see them as simple believers gathered in rooms. Uh, They haven't any of the things that we have. They haven't any of our scriptures, uh, not like we have it. They have pieces of a Hebrew Bible. They're very expensive. They're all hand parts. They're some of the most expensive things you could have back then. Uh, There's a few people that have memorized portions and will quote portions of this Hebrew Bible. Uh, uh, There might be a a parchment here or there of a copy of a 
copy of a letter, but that is all they have. They have no creeds of doctrinal unity. They have no clarity of how to please God with their, with their lives in the sense that we have. They don't have the Old Testament examples like we have. If you think it's easy for them to have a, a Hebrew Bible, you don't understand the history of how expensive those things were at the time. Uh, uh, let me tell you a real quick story. This past Sunday, we had a young man, actually, actually Connie's grandson, came to First Steps, and uh, he didn't have a Bible, and so he told me that he went up to, after First Steps, he went up to the Goodwill, and he bought two Bibles, and he's so excited about the church, and so excited about getting to know God, and so excited about trying to be a Christian, and he went and bought two Bibles. He told me, I bought me a big study Bible so I could read it, and then I bought me a pocket Bible so I could put it in my pocket and carry it around with me. I love it, I love it, I love it, I, I said I love it, I love it, I love it. Hear me today. These believers in these small rooms have none of those things. They have no creeds, they have no theologians, they don't have 1900 years of church councils, they don't have translations, they don't have interpreters, this is what they have. I believe in Jesus. And you know why it works? Because Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. You need to understand that. Because if you don't understand that, you do not understand what the first century of the church felt like. They know this about Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. In other words, I don't have a Bible to tell me the way I should walk. I don't know all these good Christian traditions and all the rules. I, I don't know all of this. I simply believe in Jesus, but when I think about what I know about Jesus, uh, who gave himself for us, who challenged us in our heart to examine ourselves and try to get it right, he gives me a way. I don't have 66 books of the Bible, but when I think about who he was, I have a way. And our truth is not simply 19 centuries of church creed and custom. Our truth is Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, I will teach you the way to truth. He doesn't say, I am a teacher of religious truth. He says, I am the truth. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, when you begin walking his way and serving his way, he promises you eternal life through his sacrifice. And so, in a room without all the stuff we have, in a room that's threatened by persecution, without the epistles, without the gospels, none of the gospels were written at this time. And, and at least they wouldn't have been copies that, uh, like the earliest Mark, may have been in a written form, but it wouldn't have been broadly uh, uh, translated or broadly shared. It would be very expensive copy on a parchment held by just a handful of people. They had Jesus. Oh, but here's the good news. God built this kingdom to be anti-fragile. If all you have is Jesus, honey, you have a lot. If all you have a Jesus is, oh, you have a way. If all you have is Jesus, you have a truth. And if all you have is Jesus, you have a promise of eternal life. God built this kingdom to get stronger in times of trouble, not weaker. What kind of a church meeting would they 
they have had. I don't know, but it wouldn't have been like us. There was no tradition of an altar call back then. There was no a translation where they understood the resurrection of the tabernacle of David. They wouldn't have been banging with loud speakers and booming with drums. No, that just attracted attention of their own kind. And even so, they said, Jesus, Jesus, there's something more different about this man, Jesus. I'll risk everything for this man, Jesus. I want to live like he lived. I want to give his truth and his gospel to my children. I want to build upon Jesus. It's an anti-fragile kingdom. The kingdom doesn't get weaker under persecution. It gets stronger. Isn't it interesting that you'll never find any place in the scripture where they prayed to be uh, delivered from persecution? Full disclosure, that's the first thing I pray for. You walk up and slap me three times, I'll be like, Lord, would you strike them with lightning as fast as possible? I don't want to be slapped anymore. I don't want to suffer. Don't act like you like suffering. If you do, you're nuts. Nobody likes suffering. Uh, But why did they not pray for deliverance from persecution? I'll tell you why. They thought it was an honor. They thought it was a glory. And they thought the church was stronger under persecution than it was without that persecution. In Acts chapter number 5, they've been threatened. They've been told they would be killed. And yet they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And this is again and again showing, shown in the scripture. They believe together. They pray together. It is something they celebrate together. The the Latin apologist and early church father known as Tertullian, uh, he wrote uh, in the midst of all this persecution, one of his most famous quotes, which is from his work called Apology. And this is the quote, the oftener we are mowed down by you, the more in number we grow, the blood of Christians is seed. This is an anti-fragile kingdom. It doesn't get weak in time of trouble. It gets stronger. I would suggest to you, some of you would be stronger once you made up in your mind you were not going to bow your knee to an idol. Then you are just floating through life in some type of a semi-spiritual apathy. You know what I'm saying? Something happens to the person who says, though it cost me everything, I will not bow. Though it cost me everything, I will not doubt. Though it cost me everything, I'm a believer and I am going to hold to God. And I'll show you this in the scripture. I'm almost done, kind of maybe, if you're lucky. I'm like, I've been listening to Jeff Arnold preach this week. And so I'm in the habit of saying five more minutes and then I preach another hour. I don't even care. I've been trying to look over at Brother Ed and tell him, you know, sit over there, self-appointed theologian. But I decided I'm not going to do that. That's just Brother Arnold's influence on me. <laughs> anyway, I want you to see how in times of trouble, the church gets stronger. Paul says this. This is Philippians um, uh, one fourteen. Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Oh, Lord. I, I, I don't know if we're a part of that church. Boy, I killed the spirit, didn't I? Let me tell you what happened to that church. Paul said, they locked me up. And that made the church folks even more bold. 
This is an anti-fragile kingdom. It gets stronger under trouble. It does not get weaker. It gets stronger. So I've come here to tell you, yes, the enemy will attack you. Yes, there will be troubles along the way. But you are not weaker in your trouble. You can come through your trouble stronger than you ever imagined. When you are weak, honey, then you are strong. The kingdom doesn't just survive trouble. It gets stronger in trouble. It doesn't just survive destruction. It gets stronger when an attack of the enemy comes against. I don't know what you're living through, but hear me today. You are not as weak as you feel. You are as strong as the promises of God. You are not as defeated as you feel. Come on. Someone going to preach with me here today? You are as strong as the promises of God. You need to learn how to turn away from how it feels to be you and say, if God be for me, who can stand against me? If God be for me, who can stand against me? Oh, praise God. So musicians come and soothe everybody. They'll think I'm done, but I won't be done. But we'll just we'll just show you something in the scripture. I want to show you this so much. Uh, this is the kind of a Bible study insight that I normally, uh, to be completely frank with you, I normally would do this more on a Wednesday night than on a weekend. Um, because on Wednesday night, I don't, I just, I get to ignore everybody and do what I want to do on Wednesday night. On Sunday, I like to try to communicate, you know. And so uh, this, this is a little bit of old, Testament uh, insight and trivia, but I want you to see it. We know scripturally from Genesis 3 that hell knew there would be enmity between the seed of Adam and Eve and the serpent of deception that represented hell, rebellion, and the work of the enemy. We know that from the beginning. In fact, the Lord speaks and says, the seed of this woman, yeah, you got her, you tricked her, but this is an anti-fragile kingdom. It doesn't get weaker in trouble. It gets stronger in trouble. And you tricked her. Yeah, yeah. But through her offspring is going to come a savior. That savior is going to bruise your head, old serpent. You're going to bruise his heel. Okay, he'll have a little bit of a rock bruise. And he may limp when he walks a little bit. But your head is going to look like a pancake, buddy. It's going to be one of them skinny flapjack kind of pancakes soon. Okay, that's the promise. All right? So, hell knows. Somebody say, hell knows. I didn't tell you to say, hell no. I told you to say, hell knows. Just because I've been listening to Jeff Arnold doesn't mean I'm trying to get up here and start cussing, okay? All right, so, so hell knows the Word of God sometimes better than we do. The devil loves to quote him some scripture. And so he begins trying to destroy the promise immediately. And whether or not it's Abel killing Cain, or excuse me, Cain killing Abel, whether or not it's the flood, whether or not it's false religions, whether or not it's Moses in a tiny ark hiding from the the wrath and genocide of the Pharaoh, whether or not it's Israel being tempted away from God, whether or not it's the giants of Canaan, whether or not it is King Saul ensnared in pride, he is always trying to destroy this promise. 
and he knows that if he can if he can feel humanity with sin then the Lord's justice will demand an accounting he knows this and so he always attacks through temptation and sin he's still attacking through temptation and sin and he will then as the accuser of your flaws as the prosecuting attorney will then take your sins and your flaws to the throne of judgment and will present a case against you but when the judge of all the earth looks to see the error and sin of your ways all he can see is the righteous blood of the Lamb of God that was shed as your spiritual covering we are made partakers of grace because we are covered in the blood I've been covered 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 in the blood so here we are and this work of hell trying to destroy the promise from the very beginning and he knows he knows the promise is coming through the seed he knows it's coming through the lineage and he ends Saul's lineage with his sons and then the promise is it is through Judah and King David and the promise is sure and hell knows it knows and he sets out to destroy the line the lineage the uh, the the how shall we say the the kingship, the regal lineage, uh, lineage I should say rather, of uh, Judah and the sons of David. And so the last king in this lineage is told to us in Jeremiah 22, his name is Kaniah. So you probably have never heard the name Kaniah preached about. You probably have never heard it taught about. Uh, I, to be honest with you, could not remember ever hearing the name Kaniah, but he is the last, the last last straw of transgression where it seems as though justice is done. And you can read in Jeremiah 22 where the lineage of royal prophecy ends with Kaniah and his uncle Zedekiah. This is where it ends. Hell wins in Jeremiah chapter number 22 or at least it seems that way. This kingdom can feel so fragile It can feel so easily destroyed and it seems like it ends. And Jeremiah stands there speaking for the judgment and the justice of God. And he says in verse 28, is this man, Kaniah, a despised and broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out? He and his seed, he and his seed, this is the end of of the sons of David. This is the end of the promised seed of Judah. He and his seed are cast into a land which they know not. And Jeremiah says, Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. My God, I wish I could preach. If I could preach, you guys would be swinging off these projectors up here. But I just have to struggle along. I I feel like Brother Arnold, I don't know why they don't ask me to preach in a conference. Maybe I'm not good enough. If I could preach and I could do it. I wish I could do it. Hear me. Oh, earth, 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 hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Write ye this man childless. Write him childless. A man that shall not prosper in his days. 
for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and rolling any more in Judah. Hell throws a party because the kingdom seems so fragile.
you today, and I'm trying to quit. I've got a ton more that fits this in a scriptural, a beautiful scriptural fitting. But I want to tell you today, you feel weak, and that's okay, because you're much more likely in your weakness to crawl, call upon the name of the Lord and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And you're going to be stronger feeling weak and calling on his name than you're ever going to be feeling strong and standing in your own strength. This kingdom gets stronger in times of trouble. The witness gets more powerful when the storm wind blows, and God will not allow to be destroyed what he has ordained from the beginning. And so when the blind man runs toward Jesus and says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. At that moment, if hell would have had a clue, they would have said, uh, did we make a mistake? And the correct answer would be, absolutely. You have made a really big mistake because if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. as good as I can preach. I can't do any better than that. Let's all stand. Some of our ministry team is going to come and stand across the front right now. They're going to get anointing oil and we're going to turn this house into a prayer service. First of all, those, some of you have, you have been challenged by the spirit and you need to respond to the spirit here today. You need to lay your pride down. You're carrying a little bit of pride. You're just like me. I'm just like you carrying a little bit of pride. You don't want everyone to know the preacher was preaching to you. Honey, everybody already knows the preacher was preaching to you. Use this time right now to step out of your seat and let someone anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus and pray over you. If you have a need in your body, if you're sick, there is healing in this house for you here today. So right now, our praise team is going to begin to lead us in praise. I want all of you who will to step out of the chair you are standing in right now. And if you have a need, if you are sick in your body, if you need an answer, I want you to be the first one right down here. I want you to let your brothers and sisters pray for you. They've been where you are. They've been you. They've been weak. They felt defeated. They felt fragile. But in this house, there is great spiritual strength. Church, I want everyone with a need to step out where you are. The Spirit is here in this place today and there is going to be miracles. There is going to be healings. I believe it. I claim it. There's going to be great strength given to every one of you. Let's all turn this house into a house of worship and praise and let's exalt the name of the Lord all across this house right now in Jesus' name. If you've never received the Holy Spirit, you can receive the Holy Spirit here today. You can know that God is with you. If you haven't repented of your sins and long time. Push your way up here. There's lots of room still down front. Go ahead. Push your way through. There's lots of room down here right now. I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to believe for the miraculous. This whole house is going to be a place of praise and worship. A place of deliverance in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There is victory in the word of God. Victory in the power of God. You can leave this house for this with the strength that you need to face whatever you're living through. You can leave this house with the power of the Holy Ghost on your life to face whatever it is that you're wrestling with. You are not alone. You are the you are strong through the promises of God. Can somebody in the house agree with me right now?
So, real quick, I know you're standing. I'll, I'll kind of keep you here uh, for just, I don't know, half an hour or so. But just just, just give me a minute here. I told you I'd read my text at the end, and then I didn't do it. And I know how you're disappointed if I don't finish what I started. So, real quick, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of Psalm 73, okay? It starts with David saying this, leading this worship unto the Lord. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, God's good to people in pure heart, but I don't know how I'm doing. That's what he's saying. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Somebody say, almost fell down. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why, David? Why are you ready to give up? Why are you feeling defeated? Because I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and I saw that they had all the money, and I saw they had all the cool stuff, and I saw they had all everything. My foot almost stumbled, and it wasn't, he will say, until I went to the house of the Lord. I was ready to give up. I was ready to quit. I was defeated. I'd been beat up all day long. I'd been lied about. I'd been talked about. My, my wife was mean to me. My kids wouldn't ride home from with me in my car. And I was all sad. Y'all were ugly to me. Anthony didn't say amen. I was on the bottom. And then I went to church. And I was reminded at church who was really in charge. for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.